Griffiths again. Hello and welcome to the Pure Football Podcast, the unbiased Scottish voice giving you in-depth insight into football from the local park to the World Cup. And I'm Gavin Miller, and as ever, I'm joined by my co-host, Owen Brown. Owen, how are you? Yeah, I'm really good, Gavin. Thanks. Coming off the back of a three-day weekend off work, uh, full of bad films, beers, football, and so on. So, yeah, I'm in a good mood. How are you? I love that. Love that. I'm uh, much the same. Uh, Good mood. Aaron Hickey's got his debut tonight for Bologna Mm -hmm. in Serie A. Just a, a really quick hot take. Any thoughts on that? I'm delighted for him. It's really good. Um, he's obviously been helped by the fact that their kind of current left back got a right uh, red card last week, and has given him the chance to uh, take the position. Sounds like he's done really well so far. And uh, uh, in the other kind of key match tonight, Arsenal versus Liverpool, both Andy Robertson and Kieran Tierney have kind of made mistakes leading to goals. Um, so yeah, a, a nice night for Ike, I guess. Um, but yeah, seriously, well played for him. I, I hope he goes on and um, really kind of establishes himself in the team throughout the season there. Yeah, definitely. It's it's exciting to see, and uh, obviously, as you mentioned, that with the red card, uh, I think it was to Mitchell Dykes, was it? And uh, yeah, I just think it's him starting a game way sooner than I guess most of us probably anticipated. But yeah. I guess it just shows that he must have, you know, been shown a lot of good things in training, etc. So really good for for Scotland to have now our twenty fifth competent left back. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um, but in a serious note. Brilliant news for Aaron Hickey and it's things that we love to see. But for tonight's episode, we said that we were going to look at our match in focus was St Mirren versus Kilmarnock. I don't think we've covered St Mirren this season yet, so uh, it'll be interesting to to get uh, your thoughts on them. We also said we would look at Scott Brown's omnipresence in the Celtic uh, starting living and then finish up with looking at uh, players who we think maybe need a bit of a, a loan me out Um before the window closes so uh, quite an exciting show and hopefully we'll get through some some really interesting stuff and let's just get straight into our match and focus so St Mirren versus Kilmarnock um, so in this game uh, last six games I, I found this quite interesting no draws between these fairly low scoring uh, sides I think it was uh, Kilmarnock have won four of the last six and obviously St Mirren have won the other two and um, the last three games all ending in 1-0 uh, victories for the uh, either side, really. I guess St Mirren won the last one, then Command at the previous two before. But going into this game on, can you just give me what's been your thoughts of the season so far for Jim Goodwin? Um, I think they've had some difficult circumstances at St Mirren, so pretty low budget. Um, lost maybe their best player, Ladke, and then the replacement, Annick, was obviously out with COVID-19, uh, replaced by Bobby Zomal, of all people. Um <laughs> Kind of briefly at the stats, um, they have uh, XG um, four of just over nine, but they've only scored five goals so far. This was before the game at the weekend, um, an XG against of fifteen, um, but had conceded twelve. So they're maybe a little bit unlucky or poor to have scored so few, but also a wee bit lucky, good keeping maybe to have not conceded quite uh, as many. Um, but overall, they had the second worst expected goals difference in the league um, going into this match. 
some distance better in terms of XG than Hamilton Ackies, who are bottom um, for that statistic. Um, but yeah, they were at negative 0.75 XG, uh, including penalties uh, per game um, on average this season. And, and for a bit of context, Kilmarnock were actually third worst with negative uh, 0.45 um, XG conceded. So um, I, I think, yeah, tough circumstances for St Mirren. Um, but you know, kind of um, not not exactly a great start to the season so far, um, and I think there was a little bit. It was good. Com- I watched this on the St Mirren uh, fan TV, obviously, and uh, it was a good commentary team. Richard Tate, who was suspended, was the kind of co-commentator, and that gave you a little bit more kind of insight um, than you might normally get from from the commentary. There was a lot of talk before the game about how they'd been poor defending crosses recently, um, and that was kind of how they tended to concede goals. But I mean, looking at St Mirren, if you sit in as deep as they tend to, that's maybe how you're going to concede chances. So I'm, I'm not sure that they're particularly bad at the specifics defending crosses into the box, but the style of play is inv- inv- inviting too many uh, opportunities for the opposition, really. Um, they're conceding 1.79 non-penalty XG per match on average, which is a pretty huge amount. Um, and also what I kind of felt from having watched them before this game is that they're not that good with a ball. Um especially before they get to the opposition final third. Um, so, yeah, that was just my thoughts on St Mirren going into this. Yeah, I think that's quite interesting. One of the things that stood out to me for St Mirren so far, you mentioned about the budget. I feel mm. like their recruitment, um, it seems to have been they've just plucked up as many strikers as problems, uh, uh, sorry, as many strikers as they can to try and solve their problems, when actually I think the issues probably lie a little bit deeper in the park uh, in terms of creativity. They picked up Kristen Dennis. Um, I think uh, you know Dylan Conley's quite advanced. You've got Lee Irwin as well on top of having Obika and Marias. I just wonder how smart they've been with their budget. Um, yeah. Just considering the issues, like I think they really. Sh- they've they've um, they've not scored more yeah. than a goal in any game so far this season, and I think they maybe have the ghost of Jonathan Abika's kind of XG underperformance last season hanging over them. That they're you know maybe thinking that just getting a different striker in or whatever will change that. But I think like you that maybe it's more about the um, the build up play, um, and we'll maybe come on to that as we talk about this match and, and give some thoughts beyond it. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's flip this thing. Give me your thoughts on Alex Dyer and how he's been for Kilmarnock so far this season. Well, um, so Kilmarnock now have uh, two wins in a row and they're up to fifth. But I'm not convinced that that's evidence of much beyond the fact that between fifth position and tenth, or maybe even fifth to twelfth, in this league is is pretty wide open. Um, like I said, Kilmarnock had before this game the third worst expected goals difference per ninety in the the league. Um, and a very mixed record. So they played eight matches and had four losses out of those eight matches, but they also managed a, a draw with Celtic and a 4-0 victory over Dundee United. Um, I think that watching them, and, and it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in games. They're quite hard to tell for me about how they'll they'll be. They've got Motherwell this Friday, um, and that's going to be a kind of fascinating um, match-up, I think. I guess what Dyer might suggest you know, looking at you know them moving up to fifth, is that maybe kind of having a consistent backline in place is now working for them. So they've got Rogers, Millen, Broadfoot, Finlay, and Waters as they kind of settled kind of back five. They've got some depth in there now as well with McGowan and Houndstrup as the fullbacks and 
Rossi and Dicamona also, also available. Um, Tish Bolas had a really good month, in, in my view, and Kabamba has, of course, you know, including the, the game at the weekend, now got four goals in the last four games. Um, so some some positives, but I think maybe under the bonnet, um, still not entirely convinced, despite them up, being up in fifth, that they're um, um, maybe they're not necessarily something that they weren't beforehand. You know, I don't think this is necessarily evidence of them um, suddenly being deservedly high up the table. Yeah, I totally uh, agree with that. I think that whilst there is some positives uh, for for Kilmarnock, there's still uh, definitely a lot um, that needs to be to be looked at. So I guess in, um, on a scale of uh, one to total Catanaccio, how much <laughs> were you expecting from this game? Oh, well, I'd just come off watching the dramatic, instant-packed uh, yo-yoing Brighton versus Manchester United match, so I was fully expecting a continuation of that high, and, and surely not 90 minutes of two teams both wearing their away kits, pretty inept passing, and a total of three shots on target, right? Oh, that was not what I was expecting <laughs> at all. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, I was, I was looking forward to it. Um, I, I kind of expected it to be relatively low scoring, maybe not a lot of chances or, or high quality, but I was kind of interested to get a proper look at both these teams and, and see how they kind of set up and what their plans were. So, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> okay, so yeah, I guess in terms of the setup, then, so I, I don't think there was any real surprise in how either team uh, set up in the game itself. So let's just talk through some of the early action that, that sort of transpires. So uh, we've seen, uh, I think the first real chance was an LK Dermis breakaway from, I think it was a command corner. Uh, I think it was quite a nice pass from Marias to Dermis, who then uh, gets through, you know, drives forward towards the box. He starts to go a bit wide. It felt like there was no real options and it felt like he didn't really have the confidence in what he was doing as well. Uh, but mm. the thing that really stood out to me by the end where Dermas hits the, the ball wide, uh, there was only one other St. Menon player who was close to him. Whilst in comparison, uh, three Kilmarnock players had tracked back to be back into the box uh, mm. from that sort of 2v1 situation. So it just felt like almost of like a sign of things to come and I guess maybe something that's a bit um, probably a bit of a, a regular viewing for St Mirren fans with the lack of you know bodies creating uh, attacking options for players on the ball and um, they seem very focused on set pieces whereas yeah I think this just really stood out to me as you know as something that's just a continuous pattern for St Mirren did you feel similar in any sort of way? Yeah, I think that's pretty fair, Gavin. Um, St Mirren basically played in a 4-5-1 in this game with the, the wide men, uh, Dermis and Moraes, quite narrow and withdrawn and, and with Lee Irwin through the middle. It really seemed to me like their only likely way of getting a goal was a set piece or a counter-attack, but they weren't really set up to get much of the latter, You know, um, both in terms of how rarely they went direct in the game and the, the lack of pace generally in the team if like there was a chance of the sort that you've just described from the, the kind of corner breakaway. So yeah, not not a huge surprise. And I also think that as well as the kind of they're I think they're a bit scared to take risks um individually. We'll, yeah. we'll maybe come on to that a wee bit um further um later on for for a few reasons. Um but yeah, um not a shock for me that they didn't manage to get so many people up um near Dermis in that scenario. Yeah, and again, I think we've seen probably the fact that the the highlights for this game were, were quite limited in terms of you know chances and and things to see, and I think you know the next real opportunity was probably the sort of opportunity that Simon would maybe want to 
to to create or or, or would be part of their their strategy mm. where I think it's a cross in from Dermis from a corner and I think it's Lee Erwin who he does pretty well to generate quite a lot of power behind the ball um to get his his header back on goal and it sort of comes off the top of the bar felt like a good opportunity but I think to me this just felt like um you can't just rely on set pieces as your um your way of of creating chances and i think part of my thinking around about this was have St. Marin almost gone too far into their own shell um with defensive structure and being rigid and tough to beat where now they they struggle to create from open play is that anything that you you sort of see when you watch them that's absolutely fair, Gavin. And and the problem for St Mirren maybe is that not only have they retreated into that shell and they don't create from open play, they're now conceding too many chances themselves. So it's not really a kind of, you know, a workable tactic. It's funny you mentioned that about the kind of reliance on set pieces. Um, a third of the expected goals um, that St Mirren have got so far in the, the league have come from set pieces. Um, and that's despite them being one of only four teams that haven't had a penalty. So, you know, just mm. corners and, and kind of free kicks. Um, in terms of the kind of um, you know the, the situation that you mentioned, the corner, it, it actually came from one of the few instances where they kind of did manage to progress the ball quite well on the left hand side, and it actually almost created a decent opportunity in the box, and, and then of course it, it got them that corner. But in general terms, um, they're really slow to progress the ball. Um, I don't know if perhaps specifically in this game, maybe having Irwin as a centre forward, they're concerned that if they get the ball up the pitch quicker, it won't stick with them and it will just come back. But really, their slower approach just ended up with them turning the ball over anyway. Um, generally, what was happening was maybe um, the, the midfield were choosing to turn back and play it to the centre-backs when they had the ball uh, instead of trying to progress it. Um, and then the centre-backs tended to then pass it wide to a full-back, um, often to the right-back. Um, and either the pass was not very good uh, and the full-back kind of lost it with it going out of play, or um, the fullback couldn't really get the ball up the field because there wasn't enough movement ahead of him, and it just goes back to the centre back or the keeper, who then kind of punts it up the pitch or out the pitch. Um, so yeah, the, the the ball progression for me was really slow um, and not um, as direct as maybe they could do. Once they did get into the final third on the deck, they actually have some quite nice kind of pretty little plays, little give and goes and dribbles, but they just rarely get it there. Um, and I think something that stuck out to me around this was that um, in this match, um, St Aaron had six shots total for the game. They got none on target, and that's obviously poor. But what stood out to me was five of those shots, of their six shots, came in the first hour. So for the final half hour, when St Aaron were already 1-0 down and obviously really needed to push and try and get back into this, and Kilmarnock were just defending their lead, St Aaron only managed one shot not even a shot on target yeah. in the last half hour of this match. So, yeah, um, and I think they, they need, like Dermis and Marais, as I said, were playing as the kind of wide guys, but it was very much a 4-5-1, you know, very kind of quite deep, quite narrow. Um, and they need them to get more between the lines and be available for passes. Um, Ethan Erhon, who we've mentioned before in the Pure Football Show, and, uh, you know, I'm a, a supporter of, he played as the six, basically, you know, the kind of deepest kind of pivot of the midfield three. But he wasn't really looking to pass it forward enough. Um, and when they did, the execution was a little bit off. And I think that Erwin um, needs to have more movement into the channels. And maybe the centre-backs need to look to get a direct ball 
a little bit more into those channels to move them up the pitch. And then the midfield needs to be ready and more aggressive to win the second ball. It's it's all very passive and slow for me. Um, so that is my kind of take on the difficulties that Samarin had initially. Yeah, I think that's some really good analysis there. And one of the things that stands out to me as well, and by no mean would would I say that you know these are their back four is uh, are ball playing defenders, but I don't think they're as limited as they're maybe being asked to play when they have possession. Uh, yeah. I quite like the look of McPherson. I think he's got some something about him, and I think maybe just needs to be set loose a little bit um, to mm. to be an outlet at least. Um, yep. Especially when you've got you know Foley and Erhorn covering spaces in behind. I think there's maybe an opportunity there to to let him be a bit more advanced. But I guess that's something that Jim Goodwin will need to figure out. But um, yeah, so I guess the sucker punch came for for St. Mannon, um when there was. A, I guess it was a fairly nice move by Kilmarnock where they, I think it's Power wins the ball back and then uh, plays a nice sort of one-two with Burke, um, who, interestingly enough, have a combined age of 68. Um, Chris Burke <laughs> and Alan Power, uh, Boston the St. Mary midfield. Um, it was a nice little bit of interplay. Burke's then able to attack into what felt like a huge gap. Um, mm-hmm. And it felt like uh, the centre-backs were slow to get across to cover that space mm-hmm. or they weren't necessarily sure on whether to to come across um, and then uh, I guess the most bizarre part of this is Buck's sort of ball cross into the box feels like it's taken about a month to get to the penalty spot uh, sort of trickles across and then Kambamba is able just to, to get ahead and and sort of nick it in felt like a really poor goal to concede from a Samaritan point of view um, but maybe mm. you know, and some nice interplay from from Kilmarnock, So I will give him credit there, but it just felt really sloppy from St. Mirren. Yeah, um, it, it, it's not a good goal for St. Mirren to concede, but this is a really good goal for Kilmarnock. I think, um, kind of all of Kilmarnock's threat up to this point was down the right hand side, but they were reduced to fairly speculative crosses from quite deep, and we know that obviously Mill in the right back can put in a really good, uh, nice kind of whip ball. But this was the first time that they got in behind. Um, and I think this is the type of goal that really Kilmarnock should be trying to replicate every single game. It's quite badly defended, as you pointed out. So I think that um, from the start, kind of Erhorn needs to come across and get some pressure on the ball before the World 1 2 happens. And he should really be adept at that, given he's worked, you know, he's been a left back. Um, and then Marcus Fraser, who is playing at left back, gets completely caught out, uh, possibly due to it not being his natural side that he's playing on. He's kind of filling in at left back. But either way, he gets too tight last minute and then Burke is gone. Um, I actually take a wee bit of issue with your um, comment that the, the ball into the box for Kabamba kind of treacled across. I think it's a really nice kind of placed pass come cross um, but yeah I agree that the two centre backs are um, not good for this um, firstly Shaughnessy I think maybe he's trying to read things a little bit maybe he thinks that he can you know pull off some sort of Virgil van Dijk um, thing and, and kind of you know just hold position and be able to cut out the cross but I think really needs to get there quicker and put pressure on the ball and Conor McCarthy should definitely get there before Kabamba for me yeah. I think really in that scenario you, you've got to be blocking the shot really um, but ov- overall look it's a, it's a good goal you know you can attempt a team that's playing quite deep against you out a wee bit and get pretty much your only creative attacking threat in behind and then where the chance presents itself be clinical. Um, I think uh, apart from the kind of individual things for St Mirren that I pointed out there, 
I think overall it just feels a little bit one paced. Yeah. Um, like, where's the aggression? Where are the cover and runs? Who was putting pressure on the ball at any point in this patch of play? Which I think would be kind of worrying for them, given that they were set up to be hard to beat. Yeah. Um, but the single most interesting thing about this goal for me, though, is who you see Jim Goodwin shout at in the aftermath. It's not any of the people that we've mentioned who have maybe not you know gone to the ball or or defended the box well enough. It was Jamie McGrath, the guy who lost the ball initially, which I, I guess is fair. Obviously, part of the game plan is to be solid and not give away the ball and be caught out. But McGrath gave the ball away in the opposition half and St. Mirren yeah. had numbers back. It just felt a bit telling to me about maybe St. Mirren's philosophy there and good, Goodwin's approach to things. And maybe that's why people aren't taking more risks and making quicker passes from midfield. Yeah, um, That goal was after half an hour and Goodwin subbed McGrath at half time. So, you, you know, it, maybe that kind of gives you mm. a little bit of an inside kind of look at um, why St Mirren are being a little bit... Um, Risk-adverse. Exactly, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I guess then, go, I guess going into the second half, there was only really other one opportunity that I sort of wanted to talk about, and it, it was a Kilmarnock opportunity again, which I guess to St Mirren fans will be disappointing. Um, mm. You know, 1-0 down at half time, and then for there not to be re- any real talking points for your team in the second half at all. Um, but Kilmarnock had it felt like a really nice pattern of play where they sort of manipulate the ball from one side to the other, sort of open up the St Mirren um, structure, and then they they play the ball in. And I think it's Greg Kelty who does a sort of a nicely sort of placed technique style um, finesse shot uh, towards the goal. Anwick makes quite a nice save. And whilst this wasn't you know anything groundbreaking, it just felt like it was quite refreshing to see Kilmarnock have that sort of pattern of play. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember the the specific chance or not, um, but I yeah, definitely yeah, absolutely do. Yeah, um, it was a really really nice chance, and I think um, you're you're maybe heading towards their pointing out that this is exactly the sort of thing that Samirin didn't really get round to yeah. doing in this game. It was a lovely piece of play. Um, I think w- one of the differences, as you see, Greg Kilty come inside in between the lines to receive the ball from midfielder. Which didn't really happen with you know Murray or Dermis, and then a fullback gets forward as you you know pointed out wasn't really happening for St Mirren. Burke kind of moved inside to create the room, um, and you know St Mirren never really had their fullbacks breaking into space. The other thing that struck me about this was how quickly the St Mirren centre backs retreated, yeah, um, and how much space this left between defence and midfield. And uh, apart from the fact that obviously this didn't work out well on this goal because of Kilty taking advantage of that. I just think if you're playing against Kabamba with Millen's crossing, how wise is that too when you're already yeah. worried about your record versus crosses? You know, surely you want to be a little bit higher. Um, but anyway, so Kilty takes advantage and runs right into the gap. Erhan just lets him right, run right off him, didn't look for his movements at all, doesn't kind of uh, think to look behind him. And, and then if you kind of freeze the camera right before Kilty gets the ball back, he's right on the edge of the box, right in the middle of the goal. There are four St Mirren players surrounding him, but they're each at least five yards away from him. So there, there's coverage, there's people there, but they're all kind of in you know different spaces and, and there's not really a purpose to them being in the spaces that they are in. So again, that would be a little bit worrying. Um, an absolutely brilliant save from Anik, who, who has been you know excellent for St Mirren this season and, and yep. they must be delighted to have him back. But in terms of the chance, like the, the speed and directness of the passing, the movement between the lines fullbacks breaking into space and people getting into good areas for shots basically all the things St Mirren didn't do yeah. Um, so yeah a good chance yeah I guess and that 
that sort of is the end of the action to this game. Really, it sort of stifled out, and it was a one 0 victory for Kilmarnock. So let's just quickly go through some of the things you sort of addressed it there. But um, what are the the sort of key issues for St Mirren, and how would you try and address them? <laughs> okay, um, well, I, I guess a few kind of stats that kind of stood out. So um, St Mirren spend a third of matches in their own third, which is the highest percentage in a league of, of you know which team spend the amount of time in their own third. Um, they concede the second most shots per match. They only make the eighth most tackles, um, the fifth most interceptions, only make the sixth most fouls, which uh, that kind of, my takeaway from that is that it's pretty passive, right? You know, it's not kind of uh, a secret that maybe they sit a little bit deeper and invite teams onto them, but they're maybe not then, um, you know, being aggressive enough. And, and as we talked about earlier, that's then leading to them conceding the second most expected goals per match and 1.79 non-penalty expected goals per match on average that is a lot like you know and we're not we're not saying like that Rangers and Celtic um accumulated masses and masses of that they've had nine matches now you know there's um some issues in terms of what they're conceding in terms of chance quality throughout at the other end um they've only scored five goals um you know we mentioned that they've got 9.14 xg so they're not putting away some of the chances that they have which is the yep. same as last season but also Forty-three percent of their shots are coming from outside the penalty box. Um, that's the the second highest percentage of a team's shots that are out with the box. So you know they're not getting into good areas. Um, they've got the fewest shots per ninety from open play in the league. So you know they need to make more and better chances. And for me, um, generally speaking, it's about being a bit less passive, playing quicker, more intensely, and moving the ball higher up the park sooner. Um, I, I, I don't think I'm going to advocate for a, a switch to three at the back as half the division seem to be doing. Oh God! Um, <laughs> but, um, but maybe they need some pace in the wide areas to stretch things. Um, Connolly that came on is quick. Maybe he can do that. But they definitely need some different movement from the attackers to receive the ball. And above all else, I think for the players to be brave and move it more quickly and more progressively up the pitch to the attackers. Yeah, I, th- I think that's some really valid points and I think there's definitely some things that they, they need to address and uh, and for me the whether it's likely or not is is I guess up for debate but they do need some personnel changes. There needs to be more creativity added to that that middle. I, I think that if they can't put away the limited chances that they are creating, then they need to try and increase the output and the standard of the chance that they do create to give the strikers a better chance. Um mm-hmm. But I guess that's that's something that we'll just need to see how that pans out in the coming days. But I guess whilst this is a positive result for Kilmarnock, um, and you sort of alluded to a few things earlier, to me there's still just a few alarm bells at the at the back of my head about Kilmarnock longer term. They still have mm. a number of ageing players and key positions that play far too many minutes, uh, For in my opinion that is. And that's not to say that you know Chris Burke can't uh, you know defy um, the... You know what, whatever it is that he's doing, um, but uh, yeah, I just feel a bit like there's there's just something there that you know if someone like Chris Buck goes down or Power or Dicker, who are all older players now, um, and you know the risks are becoming higher, so I'm just worried about them over the next sort of six to twelve months rather than right now. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, it's not even necessarily about performance. It's like you're maybe pointing to there that, you know, they're maybe at more of a risk of injury. And they've got these guys, what, Broadfoot, Power, Dicker, Burke, all 
key key players for them without necessarily direct replacements yeah. um, and you know an increasing chance of injury for these people and um, yeah only a week left in the transfer window it, it feels does it feel to you Gavin like you know every, every um, kind of season we're kind of pointing in next summer and going hmm Kilmarnock what, <laughs> what do you think <laughs> and there's going to be some amount of work on next summer I, I don't know if they can get ahead of things but you know most of these people you're probably um, you know their their contracts are expiring, most of them, and I mean, I don't know. You end up getting burnt for another year, and, and yeah, which you know, fine. I, I know, obviously, he's still uh, doing good things, but it just seems to me like, um, yeah, there's a bit of a risk there uh, with the, the age and the contract situation and stuff. But there's time left in this window. Let's see if they maybe do a few more things, and and they are up in fifth now, which is, uh, you know, credit to them for that for now. Who knew the fountain of youth was an airship? Um, yeah. So, um, probably a sentence that will never be repeated again. Um, but yeah, let's let's sort of move on for our match and focus and and stick with I guess aging midfielders. And I guess the the way that I sort of put it is that we need to talk about Scott Brown. Um, mm. So just a couple of, of very high level things. So he's played twelve of the last thirteen games for Celtic. Uh, let's get all the caveats out the way of the passion and knows the club and uh, you know all that sort of nonsense that is intangible that doesn't really count for much uh, in my opinion or not doesn't count for much that's a bit harsh but it's it's not something that you should be basing on your team selection on um, and it just feels like to me it's kind of clear to everyone outside of the Celtic dugout that he needs his minutes managed um, mm. and I guess before we go into some questions I have for you, do you have any general thoughts about Scott Brown and his, his minutes at Celtic just now? Uh, I've got a lot, a lot of thoughts about this. So uh, I think <laughs> you mentioned that maybe we would kind of talk about how we would uh, look to kind of mm-hmm. manage his minutes and how he'd approach it with somebody that's a, a senior pro and a, a yep. captain. Um, so you've kind of set the picture, um, but just to kind of add on to that, um, Brown has started every competitive uh, Premiership and Europe match this season for Celtic. I think there's only been two where he's played less than 80 minutes. Uh, Celtic, of course, have Sarajevo um, in Europe this Thursday, which I think he's sure to start. They have St. Johnston at the weekend, which you might think he would be arrested for, but it's an away match. And there's the international break after it that he'll have off anyway. So, you know, I think they might still play him. And then they've got Rangers on the 17th, which he definitely starts. And then they've got Aberdeen on the 24th, which he probably starts. Yeah. So um, I think in, in terms of how you would manage this situation, like if you were in Neil Lennon's shoes or you were the replacement for Neil Lennon, that just, you know, was there just, just now, um, in, in terms of, you know, how you would approach this, I think the first thing that I'd want to maybe do is... Um, acknowledge why you want to rest them or maybe less euphemistically not start them so often mm-hmm. um, so for me um, there's probably kind of two reasons why you'd maybe want to the first is performance now so maybe his own decline or the negative impact he's at times having on time, team performance and second reason is maybe kind of you know thinking about the future of succession so his kind of constant presence in the team meaning there's no opportunity kind of to set up a a smooth transition to a setup that doesn't have him in, in it. Um, and the third kind of reason I'd maybe try and position it to Brown as a reason for his own good would be his kind of longevity, you know, if it could give him longer mm-hmm. in the game. I doubt he'd care about number three. Um, I'm sure, <laughs> understandably, all he cares about right now is getting 10 in a row as captain, but you could maybe use it to suggest that he doesn't start every game right now in order to keep him fresh for the kind of run-in during spring. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... 
that for Celtic, the problem with the first thing that you're going to approach the alleged performance issues is that Lennon has, at least in public, said there isn't any sort of performance issues for Brown. Yep. So Lennon um, said after the Hibs game at the weekend, and this is a quote, um, I thought he was man of the match and brilliant. I know he's been getting questioned, but his legs haven't gone. We've got all the data and see it every day. He's so important on and off the field. His performance today was magnificent, end of quote. Now, I know that um, Brown did have, in some ways, a, a good performance at the weekend, particularly in the second half. Um, but I think there's a, a few things you could maybe pick apart in terms of what Lennon said there. So the reference to data is, of course, interesting. I'm going to guess here and say maybe what Lennon's referring to is like distance covered, yeah. um, which it's data, but I'm not sure that's performance analysis. Um, if the question is, can this guy still run, then the data showing that he runs 12 kilometers a match or whatever it is clearly answers that with a yes. But I don't think that's the question that anybody's asking. They're yeah. not asking literally is his le- are his legs gone. So um, I guess what I would have to do in terms of number one, right, where we're trying to assess his performance and talk to him about his performance is um, get some data that actually shows um, what we're trying to convey to him but also do it in a way that might appeal or work to Scott Brown. So I, I was thinking about that. Like if you just sat down with Scott Brown and said, look, your your um you know your tackles per ninety or whatever are down from last year or whatever, I don't think that's really going to work. You know, he's going to talk about the other things he bring, brings to the team. He's going to you know have, it might end up in being a, a bit of an argument. You know, um and and. I don't know how successful you'd be in terms of having a constructive kind of improvement in things. So the way I was thinking about doing it would be not necessarily even comparing, I think you'd sent some stats, yeah. maybe compared Brown last year versus the year before that. And I still think with things like that, you know, Brown could maybe make an argument about the style of team and stuff like that and, and things. So the way I decided I would approach it is by comparing them with Stephen Davis at Rangers. Um, I think that might potentially be a way to motivate Brown and make it a positive discussion. Um, they're both the same age, right? They're 35. They both play in relatively similar roles for their teams. They're both absolutely direct rivals. Um, so here's a few stats from this season. Um, these are you know just numbers I'm going to run through, but I think they maybe if you sat down and you showed Scott Brown every one of these and then just left him to his thoughts, you maybe might provoke some sort of further discussion. So here's a few. So tackles per 90, right? Um, Brown has two, Davis has 3.6. Tackles per 90 success percentage, so what percentage of the tackles do they win? Brown, 50%, Davis, 89%. Um, Interceptions per 90, Brown, 0.9, Davis, 1.9. Fouls per 90 committed, Brown commits 1.8 fouls per 90, Davis, 0.9. Um, yellow cards, which I, I have a quite strong opinion, are often an indication of somebody's age and declining mobility getting in their way. Yellow cards in Premiership per 90 this season, Brown 0.5, Davis 0.0, hasn't received a yellow. Um, clearances per 90 is the same, 0.8 for both. Um, passes block per 90 is the same, 0.8 for both. Um, unsuccessful controls per 90, Brown 0.8, Davis 0.6. Um, dispossessed, like they've, they've been dispossessed by an opponent per 90, Brown 0.4, Davis 0.2. Uh, key passes per 90, Brown 1.2, Davis 1.5. Um, open play expected goals chain per 90, Brown 0.35, 
Davis 1.04, which is the best in the league, by the way. So on every stat there, um, apart from the couple where they're even, Davis is outperforming Brown. Um, and yeah, there, there might be stylistic things about that. It's obviously very, very early into the season as well. So you could say that the schedule's maybe thrown up some stuff that helps that. Um, and the rest of the team's performance obviously helps. But I think you might maybe find that that conversation might be a way of landing things with Brown. Mm-hmm. And then if you did that, I'd maybe then try and lead into a conversation about Europe and the importance of the Champions League for Celtic. Maybe come at it from a positive angle about how much Brown matters in terms of those big nights with experience and ability to lead others. But if his numbers in the league are inferior to Stephen Davis, how does he think things are looking in terms of who you know, he might be facing up against in European conversation, uh, competition, yeah. <laughs> same conversation because ideally this conversation would have happened about two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> again, maybe at that point, again, I'd try and soften things and use examples of other comparators, not Davis this time. Um, but um, like a, a look, uh, Scott, this happens to us all. And I think that's a difficult conversation for Lennon to have because I'm, I'm sure, obviously, they're pals, right? Um, but Lennon was in a similar situation himself at Celtic in his mid-30s. I don't think he wanted to leave at that point till he won the title as captain. Um, he was, I think, 35-ish when he left as well. But you could maybe like use maybe Fernandinho, uh, p- potentially one of the best in the world in the role that Brown is supposed to be playing. Same age as Brown, but somebody that City have tried to move on from, at least as a defensive midfielder. And even when he came in at the weekend, he was badly exposed by Leicester. And maybe these things would give Brown a wee bit of a reality check. And I think then you'd want to have a conversation about what you actually need from him in terms of his on-field role at Celtic. Um, Maybe that needs the manager to be a bit clearer about the system and who does what in it. But in my view, you'd want whoever is in Brown's spot to be less involved in possession build-up more of a midfield anchor that breaks up counter-attacks, covers for the ball carriers and the passers. And can you maybe, if you get that conversation to land with Brown, can you coach that then aggressively and see a difference over the rest of the season, setting that as a kind of challenge to Brown? Look, Stephen Davis is doing this better than you. Are you going to accept that? So that, that would be my kind of approach in terms of performance. And then the second thing would be the kind of succession. So talk to Brown about how the Sorrow and Turnbull get opportunities how will Celtic know if they're good enough or what sort of system they'll move to once Brown isn't with them? Um, do they just run the risk of repeating what happened with Abui Kouassi? You know, once, if you know Brown succeeds and Celtic win 10 in a row, football doesn't just stop then. You know, what if next summer Brown leaves, Edward sold, James Forrest turns 30, Rangers might suddenly win the next three seasons worth of league titles. You know, so you maybe try and get to, you know, see if Brown cares about that. And he should, so maybe then you can work on the angle and, and how you know this is an opportunity for him to, um, like all this talk of you know his uh, quality off the pitch. Can you use that to mould Soro uh, as a player, you know, and show him what he should be? Um, so that that would be my kind of uh, take on those. What what do you think of that? Yeah, I think that that'd be really interesting. I think you're right to try and find a way to make this conversation a motivational conversation rather than something that would maybe be viewed as a detractor and I think you, you're probably right in your uh, comparison. If you take him into a room and just tell him your numbers are down or whatever, he's, it's not, I don't think, I don't see that going well, right? Yeah. You know? So you need to you need to have it as some sort of challenge for him, right? Yeah, I think that... You need to think about who you're doing that with, you know, and how you, you and what you need from, from... But Sorry, go ahead, Gam. Yeah, no, I think you're, you're, you're spot on. I, I think, and whilst his, his numbers are down, they're not 
they're not dramatically down from from a year ago. Mm. They're, they're, it's quite marginal in terms of a, a lot of um, you know of the data that's available. I think that you know if you say to him that you're only completing something like eighty seven percent of your passes versus eighty nine percent, that's not going to get Scott Brown ticking. Um, no. So, but then then you maybe involve video. I mean, actually, on that point, his pass completion rate is ninety five percent, which is the highest in the league. Which I mean, maybe kind of, uh, yeah. So he'll just turn around and say, "So I'm good at passing, right?" But then you obviously show him some video of the, you know, slowing down the build up play. Yeah. He's attempted the six most passes in the league, which I guess you'd kind of expect him to be in the mix around that. But um, it's it's still a, a crazy high amount, and you know, really slowing down, you know, the build up yeah. and being unnecessarily involved in that kind of first line of things for um, Celtic. I wanted to ask you just briefly, um, in terms of the list of who has the most passes in the league, um, who do you think is the first non-Rangers or Celtic player on the list? This is not per match, it's total passes attempted this season so far. Oh, you caught me off guard with that. Um, (laughs) I'm going to say Lewis Ferguson. Okay, it's Ian Vigers of Ross County, oh, which wow. I really didn't expect at all, but there we go. Wow, yeah. fun fact, fun fact mm. uh, on the Ian Vigers uh, train. Um, so yeah, I guess the the only thing that I, I, I guess we still have a, a few things to cover on, on Scott Brown, but tell me what does he bring good and bad to Celtic? So you mentioned some of the issues with the, his uh, progression of play, and I think he does have you know some of the worst numbers for forward passes in general. Uh, in the league, um, but what does he bring, good and bad? Well, the the good first of all is the complete caveat to this argument for leaving him out, which is availability, right? So uh, Brown is always there to play, but pretty much, right? So what last season I think he played just an astonishing amount of uh, minutes. Um, so what? Uh, yeah, I've I've got the numbers here. In fact, let's run through those quickly. So, nineteen uh, twenty season, he plays four thousand three hundred sixty eight minutes across all competitions. Uh, eighteen nineteen season, he played four thousand two hundred forty nine minutes across all competitions. Um, seventeen eighteen season, he played four thousand nine hundred ninety one minutes across all competitions. And sixteen seventeen, he played four thousand seven hundred eighty seven minutes across all competitions. So that's just incredible. Um, you know the availability, the amount of minutes that he can burn for you on the pitch, which is the first good thing. And um, second thing are all the intangibles that you talked about at the start of this segment, which are of course real and do matter. You know, and are very important. Um, he's got a huge amount of experience. You know, he's he's done this, and that matters too. You know, just not just in terms of. Um, you know, being able to say that, but the actual things that you can do on the pitch because you're experienced, right? You know, um, is is know how and is nous and game management and all those kind of things. Um, I think in terms of the potentially not so good things, we, we touched on the fact that Celtic's build up is kind of uh, laborious at times, partly because of him. Um, you know, particularly when maybe they have three at the back and then he's dropping in there as well, and there's just you know too many passes and becomes a kind of U-shape and there's not enough people ahead of the ball moving into space. So that's not great. Um, Also at times, instead of acting maybe as the kind of, um, you know, that kind of sitting pivot kind of anchor that kind of fights fires, he's maybe, you know, getting pulled out of position a little bit too much as well, you know, kind of trying to hunt down the ball, but then maybe doesn't have the um, the, the kind of top level athleticism um, to win the ball in the right areas can get bypassed a little bit too much at these points. 
you know, um, and, and also to go back to the kind of passing issue for somebody that passes it so much um, is very, very rarely making passes that are kind of, um, you know, valuable ones for, for Celtic. It's just kind of recycling the ball, isn't it? What about you? Any thoughts on good or bad for him? Yeah, I think you, you, you've covered it all there. I think the, the key things really are in the, the build-up play in terms of the bad. I think that's something that's fairly obvious and I think you, you, you almost know what's going to happen once he receives it. It's a, it's a five or ten yard pass to Ayer or Julian um, or, you know, it's just nothing that's going to try and break the lines from deeper. It's it's just very... You can almost predict what he's going to do when he has the ball. Um, and I think because... You know, teams very rarely press Celtic so high up the the park. That's why he's probably sitting with a ninety five percent pass completion rate. Um, sure, absolutely. So, but also, you, you know, you you aren't going to press him if you know that his pass isn't dangerous, right? You're you're sure. happy to just uh, let him have it and let him waste some time on the ball. Um, but I think the the main problem for them is. Um, the, the off the ball stuff now, yeah. um, you know, the kind of getting bypassed in the midfield and stuff, and and the fact that that can um, lead to chances. Like as much as um, Lennon said that uh, Brown was the player of the match at a weekend, um, the XG between Hibs and Celtic was almost even at a weekend. You know, Hibs without actually being able to um, get proper shots on target, you know, their finishing really let them down. They actually had some reasonably big chances. Um, but anyway, um, yeah. yeah. So that's the good and the bad. I guess just to, to finish up then on Scott Brown, give me a prediction for how many matches he plays this season. Uh, right, okay. Um, well, I think we said... that. Um, so I gave the minutes totals there, yep. but just for some context. In eighteen nineteen, he played in 51 games across all competitions. In nineteen twenty, he played in 50. Um, this season, they're... Well, that's even with last season being curtailed. It's crazy, absolutely unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, this season they're not going to have as many games in Europe due to going out of the Champions League so early. So I'm going to say forty across all competitions. Yeah, I think okay. he'll still play in loads and loads. What about you? I was going to go higher. I was thinking closer mm-hmm. to about forty-eight. I think he plays every game that he's available. Yeah, but they're they're not going to have as many games that the because of the yeah. Champions League exit that removes quite. Well, a few if if they're in the Europe, if they're in the Europa League, right? Those are the Europa League group mm-hmm. stages. Um, this, sure. So yeah, and then you'd imagine there'd be deep runs in cup competitions as well. If cup mm-hmm. competitions even happen, but yeah, um, yeah, who knows? It'll definitely be it'll be a big number of what a big Good percentage. Point, yeah. Um, He's getting his match appearance bonus anyway. Um, mm. So yeah, let's let's move on. I think him and Lennon have a wee sideline on that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, it'll, be, it'll definitely be interesting to see. But let's let's move on then to our final topic of tonight. So whilst the transfer window in Scotland is is still open and is starting to pick up, I guess we're seeing some clubs make some more moves, especially in the Championship. Um, mm. We said we would look at players in the Scottish Premiership who we feel need a loan to get their career back on track or to get vital minutes before we go into the whole uh, who actually needs a loan. So there's a few loans that have happened that I wanted to just get your quick take on, uh, on uh, some interesting ones for me that I'm going to be keeping an eye on. So let's start with um, pure football favourite Declan Glass, who's joined Partick Thistle on loan from Dundee United. What's your thoughts on this one and what can Partick Thistle fans expect from Declan Glass? 
Yeah, absolutely. A long-time pure football favourite. Um, I'm really pleased for uh, Deco that he's got a move and will get to play some football. Um, the League Cup actually starts next week that I hadn't really realised. Um, and then obviously the league should start towards the end of October and Cecil will clearly be attempting to win League One. Um, and I think um, they've got a good group of forwards. So they've got uh, Kudariza, um, they've got Rudden, they've got Graham. Um, and I think all those guys, whoever it is that's kind of starting, wherever the system is, they should love having Glass play behind them. Um, you know, for Thistle fans, um, what he's an attacking midfielder, um, can play as a 10, kind of maybe tends to kind of drift into the sort of leftish half space, ten, tends to do that. Um, good vision, um, has a good long distance shot on him as well. Nice close control. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think he'll be an exciting player to watch, um, and I think he should do well at that level. Um, I kind of think that um, Glass, well, the, the Thistle even revealed that he had some options in the Scottish Championship. It might have maybe been an interesting bet for Glass to have, you know, gone there, or maybe even the EFL League One. Um, you know, just as we kind of talked about before, you you maybe want to be widening the market for yourself. You know, it's essentially a short window as well as an opportunity to develop when you're on loan. Um, I'm not entirely sure if SPFL League One gives you that, but um, either way, it's a good club to land at, I think. Um, there's good coffee spots nearby, which I know is important <laughs> to um, Glass. Um, so I should check out Cafe de Sarah and North Star on Queen Margaret Drive. Um, but yeah, a good footballing club. Um, they'll obviously be very, very keen to bounce straight back up. Um, and if they have a way of kind of building the system around him, I, I think that'd be quite exciting. Um, just a pity that probably won't be allowed fans in, and, and you know, stadiums only five minutes from me. I'd love to go and watch them. Uh, yeah. We'll see though. Yeah, definitely uh, agree. I'm very excited about Glass. I think he done absolute wonders at Cove. Um, you know, so it'll be really interesting to see how how this year goes mm. from. It's actually a bit of a shame that he never got more of a a chance at United. I think they do actually struggle at times in advanced areas, so it would have been nice to see him get an opportunity. Um, but yeah, let's move on to ne- uh, the next one that I've got for you, and that's Motherwell youngster Jamie Semple, who's joined Cove on loan, so he's followed the the trail trail that uh, Declan Glass has laid out in terms yeah. of attacking midfielders playing for Cove on loan. Um, mm-hmm. Jamie Semple's someone that I, I, I know that uh, we've mentioned a couple of times before in a few different mm-hmm. places. So give me any thoughts you have on Semple and what might we see from this loan? Yeah, I think this is quite a good move for the player and the club. So Cove obviously trying to bring in um, you know creative talents from uh, a few levels above again. Um, Last season was a bit of a wasted season, for example, but I think that Cove should fit him stylistically and it's a good opportunity for him. Um, the most interesting thing about this move for me, though, is that as far as I know, his contract with Motherwell is up next summer and this is a season-long loan move. So I'm not really sure what the plan is from Motherwell's perspective um, because you know you wouldn't necessarily expect that to happen without maybe the player committing to... Um, you know, a longer contract. You know, what what's the kind of purpose for Motherwell in terms of sending them on loan? Um, but for Semple, I could see this as being a a good kickstart to his career. I think it's a good move. What about you? Yeah, I'm excited for this one. Semple, Semple. Uh, I remember watching uh, some clips of him early on, just before he broke into the. Well, he never really broke into the Motherwell team. He got a few appearances on the bench and just a few, uh, senior minutes. But uh, he was someone that I was quite impressed with from what I seen attacking player wants the ball uh, he's got quite a nice long range shot so that'd be something similar to 
Declan Glass uh, for Cove fans. So it'll be interesting mm-hmm. to see how this goes. And I think you're right to call out that he's only got 12 months on his contract. It, it feels like this loan should have happened last year. Um, yep. Absolutely. So, yeah, maybe an, an example of, you know, Semple, someone who I think has been around the, the Scotland setups at, uh, at youth ages. Um, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how this, this pans out for him. And, yeah. Um, one to keep an eye on. I guess the final one then is Zach Butterworth, who's joined Edinburgh City, um, joined our guy Blair Henderson uh, on yep. loan from Rangers. What mm. What's your thoughts on, on Butterworth, Owen? So, I, again, I think this is one whose contract runs out next summer. Um, and again, as far as I know, is on loan for the full season. If that is the case, um, I imagine that Rangers aren't interested in keeping him beyond next summer, and that's probably good for Butterworth in a sense. You know that he gets that kind of certainty. Um, he'll be twenty next summer, and he's basically played almost zero adult football um, up until this point. So, mm-hmm. um, this season will be a test for him, I think, um, a, a, quite a challenge. And I guess the, the the detail I wanted to pick out about this one is maybe more of a general point, not necessarily about Edinburgh City, um, but. This season, due to COVID-19 and the potential reality of no fan attendances, is going to be really difficult for SPFL League Two clubs financially. Um, I imagine it's going to be stressful for managers, chairmen, players, all thinking about the futures. Um, it's always hard coming in on loan, especially as a kid, especially in your first time away from your own, your own club. And I think especially going somewhere that's as different in terms of money and setup as this will be from Rangers. So it's going to be a bit of a, I don't want to be too extreme about this, but a bit of a culture shock for Butterworth. Um, the people at Edinburgh City are good, you know, as a thoughtful manager and McDonough who's very focused on coaching and developing. But Butterworth, it, he's going to have to be ready, I think, for the fact that some of the guys um, that he'll be even the same team with, this is their level. Um, they'll maybe be concerned about if they'll get a contract renewal next summer in terms of you know their financial future for their livelihood. Um, he'll need to be ready for them to give him a very tough time if he fucks up in any way. Um, I know that Josh Campbell is there on loan from Hibs, who's 20 years old, but has had loan spells before at Airdrie and Arbroath, so he can maybe lean on him for support. Uh, Danny Hamlin that's there, of course, played at a higher level, even for Scotland Youth. You know, so you can maybe give him a kind of positive take on perhaps the idea of finding your level as a player. And there's Mark Laird there, who was a Man City youth, but is now kind of what in his mid thirties in Edinburgh City. So I, I just think it'll be an interesting one to watch. That that's the sort of experience as your first kind of loan going to the the almost the well the the bottom SPFL level that could maybe make or break you. I think so. Could be a positive thing for Butterworth in terms of kind of setting him up for an actual career um, beyond just the kind of youth football essentially has been involved till, up till now. But I think it'll be a challenge. Yeah, def- you? yeah, I agree on that. I think it's it's a tough one for these players. I think the even the going from the, the facilities that Rangers have yeah. to the facilities at the lower levels in Scotland, that can be a bit of a culture shock. Um, yeah. So that that's going to be something to keep an eye out. In terms of... I think he's quite a tricky uh, wide player. He wants to cut in. He, he wants to try and create chances. Um, someone that I think, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets quite a few goals, actually. Um, yep. He's got quite a nice skill set. So, And albeit he's not going to be in the Rangers' first team, I do think he's got the ability to 
to you know certainly try and push up the levels. Um, mm. And I think this loan's only till January, so it's interesting okay. to me um, that Rangers have have done that. So I'd imagine that with the season only starting in October, um, mm. it's just it doesn't seem like a lot of time to to necessarily judge how he's how he's going to do. So it's just it just that surprised me a little bit, but definitely one. Mm. To keep an eye on. Um, yep. So I guess t- to move on then to talk about a few players that uh, we feel like we need we need them to get a loan. Um, so there's just a couple of players. Do you have anyone in mind specifically you feel needs to get a loan right now, or do you want me to hit you with mine? Uh, you hit me with uh, some yep. more one first. Yep. yep. So let's go with Luca Connell from Celtic. So there was rumours this weekend that he might have been in the. In the starting lineup, um, how these rumours come about for leaked uh, starting 11s, I have no <laughs> idea. But load of fish, uh, yeah. People just looking for Twitter clout, isn't it? but yeah, hey. that's it. Um, so he was a highly rated prospect, and I think Celtic beat a number of clubs to his signature. Um, he had a breakthrough sort of time at Bolton, coming in in difficult circumstances, doing pretty well. Um, I just don't see how he's going to get minutes at Celtic at all. I think he's. His options are very, very limited. Uh, unless there's a serious injury crisis, I don't see how he gets to play. So he's, he can cover sort of uh, in the six role on the left sort of sided uh, wing back role, and at worst case scenario as a centre back. I just don't see how he gets minutes in the, any of those positions for Celtic. Um, but I think he's a sort of player that needs to get himself back into the the EFL sort of hype that he had before and get people remembering what he did uh, with Bolton and, and get people interested because I just don't see it happening at Celtic. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, strange one. Um, I, I mean, I, I remember when he came in and it seemed to be with the idea that he was going to be a you know a kind of young star and would be kind of running around the first team. I remember watching a pre-season friendly Celtic versus Hibs. He did pretty well on that. Very nice passing from kind of midfield. But he's completely out of the picture now. Um, and yeah, like you, I mean, he, he needs a move, right? I don't see any prospect of, you know, where he would fit in or maybe he needs to find what the right role is for him and maybe, you know, um, yeah, just get back playing. Yeah, it's definitely something that, that's impacting him. I, I do think as well with younger players that are maybe too versatile, that can be a hindrance. Um, I think you maybe want to try and nail down, this is what I am and this is what I'm good at. Um but I appreciate that you just want to play and you'll do anything that gives you the opportunity to play. So definitely an interesting one from me. Um, so do, do you have uh, any names? Yeah, um, I've got a couple. Uh, first one I thought of was Jamie Hamilton at Hamilton Ackies. Yep. So um, Jamie started the season opener versus Celtic and had a pretty tough time of it. He's been in and out of the team since then. Um, there's obviously been the interest from uh, Brighton and Hove Albion um, kind of prior to the season starting. But I think it would be good for him to maybe get an opportunity to go somewhere like maybe the SPFL Championship um, if there's a club that would have him as a starting centre-back and really just kind of nail things down uh, you know, and maybe be able to show that he's got the kind of physical attributes um, to be a definite starter um, for Hamilton. Um, a shortish term loan, uh, you know, just to, to kind of, I, I don't know, feels like maybe the, the confidence in them has maybe gone a little bit um, and maybe the, 
public perception of him as well is affected a little bit by that match and then you know some unlucky uh, red card moments previously. So yeah, that might just be a way to kind of get things consistently, you know, positive for him. Um, the other ones that I had just to run through a couple were um, Bruce Campbell at Aberdeen. Um, so Campbell, I think, is out of contract next summer, and the forward situation at Aberdeen is is a little bit strange, I would say, with the kind of move to three four three, and Watkins kind of having that position at the moment, and maybe the stylistically main being out of favour, and and Cosgrove maybe a little bit as well, and Cosgrove obviously having the injury, and you know the the move that he was just about to make falling through. But it seems like Bruce Campbell, despite all those things, can't really get an opportunity. And and even behind him, you know, you've got Michael Ruth coming through now, who's got a loan um, to, I think it's Arbroath. Yep. Uh, um, anyway, so Campbell's kind of caught in the middle there, right? You know, he's kind of a little bit in limbo, where they kind of seem to be keeping him around, but not actually giving him any game time. So if, if I was him, it's difficult, right, if your contract's running out next summer. We'll, we'll come on to that with my next shouts. But um, I think Campbell has to do some sort of agitation to get some... Short term move at least till till January if he can, and yeah. then the final ones that I was thinking about, and I'm really going to come to you and ask you what you would do as the player in this scenario, um, but Dapplman Wood and Kai Kennedy at Rangers, um, so I think as far as I know they're both out of contract next summer, um, and I think as far as I know that both have been offered contracts but aren't going to sign them. Um, Dapo's brother Dire is about to sign for Manchester City. He's young, younger brother, only sixteen, and you know I'm sure Kai's got multiple options in terms of where he could go. But he's only going to be going there on a free, I would imagine, next summer. So they're both to an extent kind of frozen out at the moment. Now you know they, they were previously in and among around the squads, you know, kind of last season. But I guess you know maybe the final contract offers been made and rejected, and now you know they're not even getting a place in European squads. So I guess I was wondering, Gavin, for you, would you be tempted to sign a contract just to be able to get on loan? Would you be very scared about this season just being absolutely zero minutes? There's going to be the I guess one of the drivers for us having this conversation is that there's not going to be any reserve football, yeah, um, or development league or whatever they're calling it this season in Scotland. So you know, apart from the fact that you know Rangers, who were obviously already saying they weren't going to participate said they were going to have friendlies and stuff, but then how much time do Kennedy and Mabudi get in those if they're no longer a priority? So what do you do? Do you go back and say, all right, I will sign a contract, and then you're kind of locked in for the next three, four years till you're 22, 23, probably don't make it into the first team? Um, or do you just hang on for a year playing no minutes? Uh, how do you get alone? It's, yes. it's very difficult in both these scenarios. Uh, both are talented players, but I also think both need to go to the right team. I don't mm. think you can just put them in a, you know, a Saint Mirren, or you can just put them in a a a, a, a random team that style doesn't suit. I think an example of obviously that is Josh McPake's loan to Dundee last year really didn't work because Dundee yeah. didn't play in a way that allowed him to express himself in the way that. Um, he, he, you would want to see, and I think for Maboud and Kennedy, even even if you do sign a contract, which is great um, for both those kids, but you also need the loan to be to the right team, and I just yeah. I'm not too sure who that is, and and whilst you know teams will be, you would you would want to have these players in their squads and stuff, I just I do worry about are they too niche almost are they 
Are they yeah. too? And teams only want them because they're Rangers players. Without thinking, do they really fit our style? Exactly. Players. Exactly. Um, because I think with both of them, there's been a little bit of positional differences for them at times and, and things. And I, I'm not convinced that the clubs they would go to would really know what's the best role for them. Exactly. Like for Kennedy, I would, I wouldn't play him as a left winger. Yeah. Um, I don't think he's a winger. Um, and for Maboud. I would really want to give him a shot at centre forward, um, but you'd need to have the right sort of team that that um, was set up for that. If you're going to be quite defensive, um, and just kind of punt the ball up to him, it's not going to work. Yeah, um, exactly. And so, Cove Rangers for both of them. Yeah, Cove Rangers for both. <laughs> uh, we know that they can do a job, right? So um, yeah. it's just a, such a difficult scenario for both of these these guys, yeah. and uh, I guess it's it's difficult for Rangers as well. They're not wanting these players to leave for for nothing, sure. and I think the way they were speaking about Kai Kennedy was that they they did actually think that he had the potential to be uh, in and around the first team. So I think they are upset with that. Mabudi has obviously been on the, the bench and I think he's had a few cameo appearances as well. So I think from a, a Rangers perspective and the longer term strategy, they'll be disappointed with this. Um, so yeah, it's, it's definitely a tough one for all parties concerned. Um, I have no idea how they get alone, but I think you're right to call it that they probably need senior minutes and can't afford to be frozen out at this age. Um, yep. Yeah, okay. Uh, let me give you a couple more of mine. Um, so the first one I want to come to is a player that I was quite excited about, and that's Sean Rooney at St. Johnston. Um, I think it was viewed as a bit of a, a domestic coup for um, uh, for St. Johnston when when they landed him. He was linked with Hibs, linked with a few other teams, uh, teams down south. And then the change of manager, Callum Davidson brings Dan McNamara, who I think we've both been, you know, impressed with some of his early uh, play, especially in an attacking sense. I just worry that Sean Rooney isn't going to get the minutes um, at all based on hmm. Magna, uh, McNamara and Davidson's connection with Millwall. I think that potentially for St Johnston, they'll see this as an opportunity to have a bit of a, a link with a, a club. Um, where they can get you know good standard younger players, and they might be willing to sacrifice someone like Sean Rooney. And I just don't see how. I don't think he's quite adept at being a, a you know a, a flying forward attacking wing back. St Johnston playing yeah. the three five two type. Um, so yeah, it'll be definitely an interesting season. I think he could he could do a job for even you know teams at the bottom end of the. The Scottish Premiership, if if they were looking for right back cover, um, you know, so that I, I do think that that's a player that needs to get get a move asap. Um, mm-hmm. Any thoughts on Rooney, or do you think that's a fairly? Yeah, I agree with that. You, you can't be six foot three and being a flying right wing back. Eh? Yeah. <laughs> um, no, you're you're probably right in terms of everything you said there, Gavin. Yep. Yeah, and I guess the, the the final one that comes from me is uh, another guy that we both liked. Um, and that's Ayman Suda. Um, it just feels like he, for whatever reason, isn't really fancied by Gary Holt and Livingston. I think he's a talented player. I think there's teams in Scotland that desperately need creativity. And whilst I think maybe Suda has work to do in terms of his defensive output um, and maybe he's off the ball stuff, I think for some teams to you know, have his... Uh, his potential ability to create and make things happen would be quite appealing. And yeah, it just feels like a player to me that, um, yeah, teams should be interested in. He's involved and 
and creating chances. He can score goals. Um, yeah, I just think that that's a player that if if he was available, I would want to try and try and see if I could get him. I agree with that entirely. I'm a little bit upset at how it's worked out for Souda, really. I think um saw him very, very early on live in his time at Livingston. And um, I think he's the sort of player that can often be kind of labelled, you know, a luxury or inconsistent. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, you, you only get viewed as inconsistent because you're probably taking a lot more risks than other people are. Um, and you, you need, you know, people in your team that will take risks. Um, and, you know, obviously the rewards, um, if it pays off, is worth it. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I just, you know, I don't think a player like that should be... Um, not playing football, you know, he's the type of player I like to watch. So ideally, yeah. you should be landing somewhere else. He can get some minutes. Yeah, definitely. I, I think again, if if they can make it happen, a team like Saint Mirren would, you know, he would do wonders for their team. I think having someone as creative as he is, uh, good you, at corners as well. If they're still going to rely on getting other yeah. chances, that way. Um, <laughs> exactly. Um, he's what he's got. You know, uh, his non penalty xg is in the eighty seventh percentile. So that means that you know he's performing at a very high level for that. That measure, he carries the ball well. He can dribble. He can shoot. Gets involved in the build-up play. Yeah, definitely a player that I think deserves more than to be a bit part player for Livingston. Hmm. Uh, and I guess that that takes us to the end of today's episode. And uh, we hope you've enjoyed it. And as ever, um, please like, share, subscribe, tell a friend, all that good stuff that really helps the podcast grow. Um, and you can find us on social media. Owen, where are the listeners able to get you if they want to give you a shout? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at one James Brown. Nice. And you can get us at Pure Football. Uh, there'll be a few articles on the website hopefully this week to keep an eye out for. Um, been quite a lot of traffic recently, some really good stuff. So if you haven't checked it out, please head over to purefitball.com and we'll be back soon. Take care. Good night. Yeah, it's seen ya. True that. Yeah. Infrared sixes. I was really out there on the project bench with the wolves eating my dinner. Three orange airheads, five Swedish fishes, a Sunnydale court, two wings, and a free biscuit. Mama's fried, Papa's fried, same difference. Humble nigga, but I'm both flexing on them from a distance. Milk crate, baby. Corner store, carnivore, Rockaway, and Dumont Ave. I learned the art of war. The same rack, I scope artifacts. Stone Mason, respect me like Arafat. Salam alaikum. Dry white Bordeaux, vintage shipper. All I do is double RL and vintage hill figure. Ugly nigga, but bitches think I'm adorable. Everything I hear on the radio is deplorable. They fucking up the game. Niggas getting away with murder like Orenthal James. Everybody sound the same. Bordeaux sevens, not them new shits. The ones from 2011, they wildin' in my section. Fat Puerto Rican from Coney Island with aggression. Standing here by God's marvelous grace. Divine intervention, what a blessing. Go home and hug your wife. I do it on my own like homie.